Blog Talk Radio. It's time to give the old cows and goats a rest. They're tired. Camels are known for their stamina. If they can trudge through a hot desert for months, they can easily boost your energy and nutrition. Desert Farms, a camel milk company based in California, sells organic camel milk. That's right, all natural milk from a camel. Case studies have shown that camel milk is effective in improving verbal skills, gut pathogens, and calming behavior in children with autism. Specific improvements seen with camel's milk are improved attention span, increased vocabulary, improved motor skills, improved speech patterns, improvement with food allergies and gut issues such as diarrhea and bloating, improved sleep patterns, increased interactions with others, reduction in seizures, and less severe skin rashes and eczema. As a general rule, start with one ounce two times per day on an empty stomach and gradually build up to a dosage of eight ounces total per day. Coffee Clatch listeners get 20% off your first order. Visit DesertFarms.com and use coupon code COFFEE, all caps, at checkout. Hello, welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. I usually don't get too excited um, about guests coming on and um, their books, but tonight I am just thrilled because I have Carol Kranowitz with me tonight, and she has her new book that's out, The Out-of-Sync Child Grows Up, and this is the long-awaited follow-up to the million copy seller of The Out-of-Sync Child. Um, The Out-of-Sync Child Grows Up is the latest in the SYNC series, and it offers practical advice for coping with sensory processing disorder in the tween, teen, and young adult years. As a generation of kids with sensory processing disorder enters young adulthood, this guide really helps them and their families navigate the world um, that seems too loud, too bright, fast, close, or otherwise overwhelming and confusing to the senses. The Addison Child Grows Up delivers revealing and inspiring first-person accounts from young people living with SPD. And you are just, when you read this book, it, it's just so inspirational. Um, you know, the, their accounts really highlight their strategies for thriving and how to face the daily challenges of, of even grooming and eating and sleeping, school, work, I mean, even going to the mall. And it touches upon emotions, um, you know, how family relationships, making friends and dating, um, you know, how everything is really um, nurturing one's passion and developing what she calls extrasensory grace, which we're going to be talking about. So um, this book is just fantastic, and I am thrilled to have back on the show Carol Kranowitz. Carol Stock Kranowitz has been a preschool teacher for more than 25 years, She has developed an innovative program to screen young children for sensory processing disorder. She writes and speaks regularly about the subject, and she is the author of this blockbuster book series. And um, we're thrilled to have her here tonight. Carol, how are you? It's my thrill to be here, Marianne. I am fine. Thank you. Well, I I have recommended this book to so many people so far because... Um, you know, I think that there are so many kids that have been misunderstood for so long, and um, this book is so beautifully weaved with the most insightful and touching writings from, you know, young adults, adults who have had sensory processing, you know, their entire lives. Um, and it really is very inspirational. So um, I thank you for writing it. And, um, you know, what I liked about this book was that um, – even if a parent or an educator um, of, of, you know, let's say a tween or a teen, um, they could pick this up and you really go into the basics um, initially. You know, there's a primer that you have. Um, and, and so it, 
it, it really, someone can just pick this up and move forward and really have an understanding of how sensory processing um, could affect a teen or a tween. Um, I want to start by reading a, one of, a little snippet from one of the um, quotes, one of the writers that you have in the book. And the first one I want to read is from Lisa Taylor, and it's, it's, the title is It Does Get Better. And it starts, when does this get better? I am face-to-face with a teary student who is exasperated by her sensory challenges. She searches my face for an answer. I smile with empathy, as I remember wondering the same thing at her age. Well, I can only tell you what it has been like for me. Sensory processing changes as you get older. That much you can count on. The sensitivities, the triggers, and your responses change. As you get older, you'll be more aware and in tune with your body. Does it get better? It's all how you look at it. I say yes, because I have learned to control how I respond to sensory challenges. So, Carol, you know, as I said, it's weaved with beautiful writings from from adults. Um, but let's start off with some of the, the basics, because, you know, it's it's... As, as basic as it is, it's very comprehensive, which I like. So let's just spend a little bit of time. We don't have to go into depth, but we're going to talk okay. about the two types of input, the eight senses, and the three subtypes. So let's start with the input. There's sensory input and there's motor output. So what are those? Well, <clears throat> the input comes in through our eight sensory systems, um, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and everyone knows about those basic five, and then there are um, more. There's the vestibular sense, which is our sense of where we are in space and where our head is in relation to the earth. So are we up, are we down, are we falling, are we steady, are we swinging, are we going over a speed bump? Um, Then there's the proprioceptive sense, which is the sense of our muscles and joints, how much exertion should go into picking up this paint bucket, uh, or opening the sticky bureau drawer, uh, how far should I reach for that cup of coffee? Um, and our muscles and joints are giving us feedback constantly. And then there's the interoceptive sense, which is the sense of our internal organs, which are supposed to be humming along happily without our conscious thought. So senses come in from the environment around us, and from our own bodies, and we're supposed to, in a perfect world, take these take this sensory input into our nervous system, um, get it, understand it, analyze it, organize it, um, integrate it, and then uh, make decisions about how to behave. So, do we um, keep our hand in the fire? No. We don't. The sensory input comes in, and our brain says, take your hand out of the fire. So our motor output depends on efficient sensory input. Sensory processing disorder is when it's like a traffic brain, it's a traffic jam in the brain, um, where where the the sensations come in, and and they might be slow to be processed they might go in the wrong direction they might not meet up with other sensations accurately and so the output is confusing and that makes a person not want to leave the house because he doesn't know it can't it's too confusing there's so much that we have to process so sensory processing disorder uh, 
affects adults just as much as it affects children, but it's not recognized very much in older kids. And that that's why I wanted to, I had to write this book. Absolutely. And, you know, when when I was reading it, you know, some of my thoughts were, um, you know, there my looking at this is that there are so many children um, that are getting um, diagnoses of, you know, bipolar, ADHD, OCD, I mean, so many others. And, you know, I know that sensory processing disorder has a lot of comorbidity, um, but it's also a standalone diagnosis. So, you know, when I, when I was reading the book, I was just thinking, you know, what about the kid who's now, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old, 19 years old, um, and is finally realizing, hopefully from reading this book, that, you know, perhaps this is the cause of a lot of their problems. Um, you know, are, is there, is it ever too late to, you know, understand it, get help for it, get treatment for it? Uh, it, it is never too late, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Marianne. Uh, of course, younger children are going to benefit from any kind of therapy because their brains are plastic and malleable, and you can make um, good, positive changes more rapidly in the little brain, in the young brain. But uh, it's never too late. Uh, old people can also benefit from therapy, and the appropriate therapy for sensory processing issues is occupational therapy. Uh, the therapist uh, works with the person to uh, develop and enhance sensory systems that are not working smoothly um, so that their touch, their reactions to ordinary touch, for instance, is not one of alarm, but one of, oh, I can, I can touch this door handle and it's not going to send me into a tizzy. Um, I'm not going to go into therapy in our discussion today, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, people can learn a lot by reading The Out of Sync Child um, and also going to um, spdstar.org, mm, which has a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. information there. Uh, but older, older t- teenagers, adults, even old people can benefit from therapy, too, to help them smooth out their sensory processing, and I recommend it to everyone. Absolutely. You know, let's just take a snapshot, because right now we're talking about the sensory input. And, you know, I'm looking at this, the the vestibular sense, which is movement, the um, proprioceptive sense, which is your body's position, actually, in, you know, the world. You know, obviously the visual sense, the auditory sense, the olfactory sense, which is smell, um, the gustatory sense, which is your taste. Now, I didn't know much about the um, interoceptive sense, which is your internal organs. I, I didn't realize that was involved. But now, would somebody have to have um, I'm going to use dysfunction for lack of a better word. Um, dysfunction or dysregulation in all of these eight senses? Could they yeah. have all or some? And what would you see if you took a snapshot? How would dysregulation in these senses affect behavior? Okay. Yes, a person could have dysregulation in all eight senses or in one or in one today and three tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Depending on what the excuse me what the load the you know the load of stressors is on a very stressful day everything's going to not work well um, right um, uh, how so so let's see um, there are different ways that SBD plays out the most common is over responsivity so that sights sounds movement touches 
all kinds of sensory input is um, alerting and alarming. And uh, the person who is on sensory overload uh, will will feel overwhelmed by sensations, and perhaps he or she can't explain it. There, there's why why is it that just stepping out of my front door in the morning is so difficult for me? And a person might not understand that there is a real neurological reason, and it's uh, it's not an illness. It, they're not crazy. Their neurological systems are just not working smoothly. So. Um, Everything can be bothering this person, or just a person can specialize. Uh, the most common is the tactile system, where and we all know that everybody, everybody gets uncomfortable sitting next to. A, 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 well, say you were sitting next to a porcupine on a crowded subway. Everybody would have tactile right. responsivity there, um, or when we don't feel well, when we have the flu. Um, some uh, times uh, for women when they're menstruating, they're particularly sensitive to things like touch. And I'm here. Hi, Carol. I lost you. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Oh, I'm so The call sorry. just got dropped. No, that's okay. Yeah. The call just dropped. Um, okay. Oh, so let's see. Let's see where we'll pick back up now. Um, let me write down what the time was. 51:55. Okay. Um so you were talking we were talking about the I'm sorry um listeners, I'm sorry. We had a technical issue here. Um Carol was talking about the eight senses and how um you know that you could have all or none and how this could impact um you know someone that has sensory processing disorder. So I'm sorry that we lost you there for a minute. Um you know what I was thinking was that when you're talking about say vestibular sense, um the movement. You know, I I was thinking maybe you know, a child that might have a diagnosis of ADHD who just, you know, has problem with movement or clumsiness or sitting still. Um, would that be something with the vestibular sense? Uh, well, it turns out that many children, many people with ADHD also have SPD, and so they they exacerbate mm-hmm. each other. Um, the movement that the kid with ADHD seeks is a little different. Uh, there, uh, ADHD and SPD happen in different parts of the brain. Um, for the person with SPD, some purposeful, vigorous activity will make the person feel calmer and organized and able to do a task, a mental or a physical task. And I have a, an occupational therapist friend who jokes and says, just get the kids to run around the uh, school yard a few times, and uh, at the end of it, everybody will feel refreshed. The kids with SPD will have will be able to sit down and attend. The kids with ADHD will feel better, but they still won't be able to attend. <laughs> but they will okay. feel better. Um, so some purposeful physical input is very helpful for kids with SPD whether they are over responsive and and shy away from touch and movement and smell and sound or whether they seek those uh, sensations either way um, movement is helpful for everyone with with SPD it's very organizing to get input um, into the muscles and joints, for instance. And for listeners here who are just learning about this, um, think about giving 
kids heavy work activity when you when you are pulling your hair out you don't know what to do with these children give them the laundry basket to carry upstairs give them the hose and tell them to um wash the car or water the, the garden um mm-hmm. give them meatloaf to um mush or bread dough give them something they really move with and uh, what we're looking for actually is resistance. Uh, uh, if you don't have a chore that they can help you with, get stretchy bands that are used in at the gym and in uh, physical rehab where, where the kids can just take an end of a band and stretch it back and forth, step on it with a foot and pull it with a hand, or, or um, um, play tug-of-war, um, you know, you you could really see how how parents and even clinicians could really be um, have a difficult time in diagnosing and um, finding yeah. appropriate treatment for these kids because you know if you if you just look at a few of these if you look at the auditory sense where you know things may seem you know amplified so loud and they're covering their ears or the um, gustatory sense with taste where a lot of children with let's say Aspergers um, are very picky eaters they have a very restricted diet so you could see how this really could be very confusing but yet it's so important um, yes to, yes. to diagnose this. And 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 thinking about what I was just saying, how, it just doesn't make sense that if a kid is oh, is is a picky eater, that Carol is saying give the child a laundry basket to carry. I know that doesn't make sense, but listen, if we can calm the nervous system with physical input, uh, it can make an amazing difference in how the person is responding to sensations that are bothersome. Yeah, chewing incredible. gum. I know. Give the kid a big wad of chewing gum to chomp on. Give but don't the, let them stand a, next to somebody else that has it <laughs> because the chewing could drive them crazy, right? Yeah, that's true. Go, go <laughs> here, here, darling, take your gum and go to the garage and chew go your outside. gum. Go outside. Yeah. Uh, or, or get a trampoline and have, a, have, a, have the person with SPD jump. Linear movement, up, uh, linear movement is in one dimension. So um, jumping is linear movement, very soothing, very calming for the uh, neurological system. And the jolt of the uh, bounding off the that stiff rubber and jumping up and down is very nice for the proprioceptive system. It's very calming for the ve- the vestibular, the proprioceptive, uh, that kind of thing. Who would think? But right. I'm telling you... Um, this is what this, this is what our systems need. The bottom the bottom line here is that we are born to move. Nature has designed us so that from birth we are active moving people and we look at our society today we are praising children for sitting quietly at their school desks. Absolutely. We're we're, for birthday presents, we're giving kids more video games where the only action they have is their thumbs. Or You know, mm-hmm. it's crazy upside down. We are supposed to be out there looking for food, preparing food, building shelter, uh, hunting, gathering, and instead we're not doing any of that. No wonder we're our our, our systems are screaming for 
the uh, positive nourishing input through our sensory systems. And the impact it has on behavior is just outstanding. I mean, you've done, um, this is our third interview. We did an interview with Lucy Miller, and um, I apologize, I forget who else. But, um, you know, we discussed what sensory um, processing disorder is and is not. And everyone, I'm going to post it again. I I post it quite often. Um, It's just incredible how... um, so many children have been misdiagnosed with bipolar, ADHD, OCD. Um, you're trying all these different medications, and really movement is the treatment. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, so now let me just, just so that um, parents understand, um, should I make the assumption then that a diagnosis would be made by a neurologist or where if a parent suspects that their um, child or teen might have sensory processing disorder, who should they go to? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Your questions are great, Marianne, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, 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 The answer is no, not a neurologist. Um, Neurologists, uh, many neurologists do not know about sensory processing disorder, which is an interesting thing. Uh, um, The the correct uh, professional is an occupational therapist who practices sensory integration techniques. So the the um, it's it's an OT knowledgeable about SI, and the uh, the and there and let me just say that there are many occupational therapists, wonderful occupational therapists who simply have not had training in SI. So it is a sub specialty of right. occupational therapy. All right. So a therapist can um, make the uh, do the assessment in most states. However, an OT may not make the diagnosis. It has to be from a medical professional. Right. So then the OT tells the pediatrician or the internist, this person has SPD. And OTSI, occupational therapy using a sensory integration approach, OTSI is the treatment. So... um, not, Did sensory uh, processing uh, disorder ever get in the DSM? Uh, no, it mm-hmm. has just um, um, zero to three. It, it is just recently um, including it, and that's kind of exciting. Um, Very. It's just happened in the past couple of weeks, in fact. So, so mm-hmm. it is definitely getting recognition. No, it didn't get into the DSM five. Uh, I think it was referred to in the back, but um, there are other. Other ways, other ways to skin the cat. So, right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, go ahead. Um, uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, we we're going to just skim through now because I really want to get to the crux of the book. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. just so that that um, the listeners know, there are three subtypes: the sensory modulation disorder um, for sensory over responders. There are sensory under responders. They 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 present very differently. There's sensory discrimination disorder and there's sensory based motor disorder. So yeah. you know, when you get the book, you can read. She has a wonderful description um, on all these things. But one of the things I really wanted to start getting to was you write in the book about extrasensory grace. Uh-huh. And um, I loved it. So, can you tell um, the listeners what that is? Yes, yes. Um, when I started to put this book together, I wanted to hear from the people who have grown up with SPD, and I said, "Write about anything you want to." Uh, and what really 
stunned me in a wonderful way, Marianne, was uh, how many of them talked about having SPD as a gift. Uh, they ha- Yes, they have had incredible challenges going through their childhoods and a- adolescences and young adulthoods, um, battling uh, sensory issues, being misunderstood, not having a voice, um, being misdiagnosed and mistreated. And they, many of them felt like they have come through this gauntlet and they are uh, stronger for it. Uh, they talk Absolutely. about, yeah, they feel like they want to go in, uh, into the occupational therapy field themselves, many of them, mm-hmm. because they feel they would be perfect. Uh, and they will be. Yes. They um, will be. They feel like they have antenna for other people's concerns that uh, makes them super sensitive to other people. Um, now, you have to understand that the people who uh, volunteered to write for my book, uh, it, it's a self-selecting group. Sure, there are people in this world with sensory processing disorder who hate having it, and it's been a burden for them. They didn't write for me and for you. Uh, so so this is a selective group. But this extrasensory grace is... I, I was thinking as I, as I was uh, working with their stories, what is it? What is this? Well, you know the term special sauce. What is it that makes these people so incredibly wonderful? And I love them all so much. They have so much to give. And I, so I came up with this term, extrasensory grace. I love because it. They've, love lived, it. they've lived with adversity. They've beat adversity. That's and the now, thing. now they want to share their their knowledge and their wisdom with other people and that's my that's the definition to me of a hero the one who wants to share what she's learned and the extrasensory grace is just, just perfect wording you know yeah, um thank you. my my book is coming out in a couple of months um the life unexpected oh. the wonder and marvel of different of which you're um you're quoted in and um you. you know a lot of what i think about this the whole situation with these kids is that you know we have really set up we, you know, parents, educational systems, we have really set up an environment of conformity. And when these kids or when a kid does not conform um, to sitting still at a desk and, you know, being very obedient, um, you know, they, they're considered and diagnosed with mental illnesses. And it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And what I loved about this book is that you can really see, you know, I know for, for, for my daughter, she struggled. I mean, she struggled so much growing up as a child. And you look at her now, and she's flourished, and she's doing what she loves. And adversity, I think, was the key. I think that these people that have grown up with adversity really are able to handle life situations and look at the world in a different way because they've 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 viewed it from a different lens, you know, growing up. And I think that sensory processing disorder is a huge um, part of this. You know, in, we're going to move on now to coping and hoping, which for anyone who's grown up with this, um, that this is, you know, ringing a bell to them, anyone who suspects their teen has this, this is just so inspirational. And I'm going to read first um, another snippet from one of the quotes here. And this is Never Doubt My Feelings by Chloe Rothschild. 
And she writes, if I say I need a minute or two, give me time and do not rush me. Don't punish me for needing a break. I am punished enough by my guilty and overloaded feelings. Listen to me and never doubt me what I tell you or my feelings. Don't laugh them off like they are no big deal, as they are a big deal to me. When I do start to feel agitated, I know what to do to help myself feel better again. But I still make mistakes, and I still have my moments. Becoming an expert at self-regulation, my own behavior is something that will take years to learn. And with more and more experience in doing it, I am sure it will get easier. And, you know, those are just, I think, sums up so much of what everyone's feeling um, that has this. So let's move on to you have such fantastic chapters in this book and one of my favorites is coping and hoping where you talk about things that everybody takes for granted like grooming dressing eating so you know why don't you talk a little bit about how sensory processing disorder affects just these normal everyday tasks yeah um uh, a term i've learned from occupational therapists is activities of daily living or adls and that's what uh, an OT will be working on a person to improve. Um, so uh, for typical people who don't have sensory issues, we, um, you know, we, we get up in the morning. We get out of bed. <laughs> it starts there, <laughs> Marianne. Right, right. Uh, for, for people with, with SPD, getting out of bed can be an issue. Getting dressed, um, brushing teeth, eating breakfast. Every single step of the day can have insults and assaults from the sensory world out there um, that a person has to deal with. So um, uh, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes understanding. And so if when you read some of the stories, uh, I expect that the typical reader will come to the end of these chapters of grooming, dressing, um, eating, heading out the door, and will feel exhausted, with, uh, but, but will appreciate what, uh, what the person with SVD has to go through. Uh, I don't want to... I mean, can you imagine I'm, starting your day just getting up and getting washed up? By the time you walk out the door, you're already agitated and dysregulated. Yeah. I mean, it has yeah. to be horrible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, when we are stressed, uh, the stress makes ordinary uh, activities and experiences even more stressful. And so, if you've already um, tangled with your hairbrush and there was um, uh, a, a raspberry lump in the raspberry jelly that disturbed your mouth and you know etc 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 if all those little things mounted up then by the time you get to school or work you're you're already striving hard to keep yourself together and get through the day so well, what i want would be everyone some... to appreciate it yeah go on I say, what would be some solutions to this, though? Because we have to get up, we have to get brush our teeth, we have to, you know, shampoo. The smell from the shampoo can bother you. Um, you know, how how did you, how did you find yeah. through researching with these people? You know, what were some just and eating? I mean, my daughter, um, my youngest daughter, has a very rare disorder. It's called mast cell activation disorder, where she's allergic to almost all foods. 
It's very difficult for her to go out um, and eat with friends. And, you know, I think that unless you're confronted with the type of disorder my daughter has or something like sensory processing disorder where just textures of foods can send you into a tizzy, you don't realize how social eating is. You know, it's such a big part for teenagers to go out, to go to McDonald's, to go to the diner. Um, So, you know, just food, just the sensitivities to food, I mean, could have such an impact on behavior and isolation, I would think. Well, I um, I asked my contributors to come up with some of their own strategies and things that they might uh, that might not be in other books. So there are unique strategies at the end of each chapter. So, um, for instance, eating. Uh, well, some of the, some of the writers have suggestions of taking a tiny bite uh, one day and then coming back and trying a tiny bite of a food another day or of uh, using an electric toothbrush to um, uh, desensitize the, in, the inside of their mouth because the mouth is a very, very sensitive place. Um, or, uh, you know, to, to, to get the eating milieu appropriate. Some people like music playing, and they find that very soothing. Um, others cannot eat with other people because the sounds of chewing and swallowing are distressing, but they can come to the table if they're wearing noise-canceling headphones. So everybody kind of finds his or her way, and the um, the uh, uh, the effect is the job of every person is to try is to be as social as possible and i just thought some of their some of their techniques were fa- fabulous sitting on a therapy ball a big huge um ball that you can wiggle and jiggle on sitting on a therapy ball at the dining room table is going to help your vestibular your proprioceptive your tactile sense and it's going to help you eat now who knew that's it's incredible <laughs> yeah yeah. It's really incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 just, you know, I, I don't want to call it a quick fix, but, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, you have a child that's so dysregulated who's unable to, you know, function in school or, you know, as we're going to go into has, you know, very difficult relationships with family members and friends. And, you know, automatically it's, it's you know oftentimes diagnosed as mental illness they give them medications the medications don't help they're just dealing with side effects on top of it and movement i mean it's crazy it's movement yeah. is really yeah, we don't the, think, the treatment yeah yeah that's the treatment it's not because you know a lot of uh, symptoms of a lot of signs of spd look like signs of adhd the person right. is often fidgety uh, because the tag in his T-shirt and the seams in his socks, and the chunk of peanut butter in the peanut butter are all really bothering his tactile system. So he's wiggling and fidgeting and yanking on his clothes and can't sit still and can't concentrate. Well, that looks like ADHD, and you know we've all heard that uh, that that saying that doctors know when you hear hoofbeats, don't look for zebras. The, right. the, the idea being, you know, when you hear hopefully beats, look, you know, think think of the the most obvious thing is probably that. Well, we SPD is is the zebra, and we have to go beyond the horse and look at look for what else it could be because it's not ADHD. 
ADHD is the horse. <laughs> SPD exactly. Is the Very um, well and, said. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's what I want people to think about when they see their child being um, fidgety, and they're thinking, "Oh, this must be ADHD. Let's go get the Ritalin." Um, let's not. Instead, right. let's let's put on um, sensory goggles and look at the child and ask yourself, what what is it? What is this child trying to get away from? Because that's the that's the main thing with SPD. They're, people right. are oversensitive. Is it is it the noise in this restaurant? Is it the smell in this restaurant? What is it that's really bothering my kid? And Especially when me. they're younger, it must be so hard right. to identify. Right. I mean, as they're older, right. maybe they can be more articulate. But, you know, you can't even gloss over the behavioral aspect of this because many children, I think, even that have diagnosis of bipolar, actually um, the main feature in their problems is the sensory processing. You know, I, I write about how if a parent can just imagine having sandpaper in their stilettos or having tight Velcro <laughs> in, on their, in their tie and walking around Perfect. all day, how that would affect their ability to focus, learn, interact, and be pleasant. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you think about it, you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so it's that you know uh, the um, the sensory input is very irritating to a lot of people. But let's also ask another question when we're looking through those sensory goggles: What sensations are, are uh, does my child miss? Because um, back to this movement thing, which is my mantra: more movement, more movement. Um, you know, a, lot, a, a child can be writhing in his desk chair or not able to sit at the table because he hasn't had enough movement during the day. And so that, so we want to look at what is he trying to get away from and what is he trying to get toward. You know, we've discussed over-responders as I'm, I'm, we're talking. I'm thinking about what we've really focused on under-responders. But just so that listeners know, there there's also the under-responders who are the floppy mm-hmm kids who, um, mm-hmm. you know, are actually just the opposite. So, you know, just uh, very quickly, if you can just tell the listeners, you know, what an under-responder with SCT would have. Yeah, yeah. the under-responder is the child who doesn't notice things. So um, he might not chew his food uh, enough because he doesn't notice that it hasn't, he hasn't gotten it ready to swallow. Um, he might not notice um, that he's hot. He might come in, inside on a cold day wearing his coat, and he might leave his coat on. And you can see him. He's getting flushed. Uh, he's perspiring, and he's still wearing his coat. Uh, he might not know that he's been on the swing too long. And we have to be very vigilant with the under-responders because they um, uh, can uh, hurt themselves. Um, they might not notice that they have a broken collarbone or broken wrist. Wow. And then there's, the, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's another category of uh, people with modulation issues besides over-responsivity and under-responsivity. And the third modulation problem is the that, uh, the person who's the craver. He doesn't mind sensations. He certainly notices sensations, and he's got to get them. And he's out there all the time. He's on that swing wow, for an the hour. Speakers, right. okay. The speakers, the cravers, they, they, they're addicted to whatever their, their sensory favorite mode is. Like they might um, um, 
like the noise noise they they might want to get as close to the uh speakers as they possibly can or they if there's not enough noise in their lives they might make noise or um it's particularly true that cravers like movement so they're going to be like tarzan swinging from the branches if they can and climbing everything as if it's a ladder um, so you can really uh, yeah, see how wow this is incredible because you can really see how like you know things could be misconceived like you know if they're yeah. seeking and they're craving and they have to have it um you could say well you know they're so obsessive there you have ocd that they need to be climbing the uh-huh. tree they need yeah. to be swinging so you know and and i would imagine that as much as this affects behavior and um it affects um socialization and really all aspects of life it's got to be physically uncomfortable like i know when i when i interview people with Tourette's there's like a physical you know Un- there's just an uncomfortable feeling all day that makes it very difficult for them to get through the day. Do do, the, do you hear that from people that have it? Yes, yes, especially the people who are over-responsive to tactile sensations. Clothing, um, uh, let's see, scratchy, prickly, hot, painful. Um, they, uh, they 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 use words like that, and they're talking about a T-shirt. Right. Um, I know a, a little girl who who was so eager to take dancing lessons. She loved to move and um, couldn't wait to start. So her mother went and got her a leotard, and the child put it on, and was it was only on for a second because it. She said it burned. Now, that's incredible. The 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 reaction, the the response of a parent might be, no, darling, it doesn't burn. It's just a leotard. All right, and, well, the other girls are wearing it. <laughs> right, that's right. Don't, don't you care how it looks? Why are you complaining about how it feels? Don't you care how it looks? And, this, the you know, the thing is here, we've got to believe it. When the right. child is old enough to articulate that something is uncomfortable, we must respect it. It's real. And they have no other frame of reference, because I would assume that you have this from birth. So you wouldn't have a frame of reference as, as to, you know, this must be how everybody feels wearing this T-shirt. Yeah. And they're exactly. handling it. You know? Yeah, and, that, and, and Mary, and that comes up in the book, too, where right. where some of the writers say, you know, I thought I was weak. I thought everybody could tolerate that that loud noise and, and um, that I just was a wimp because I couldn't tolerate it. Well, it's not a loud noise, whatever whatever that sound is. It's not a loud noise to most people. Um, there are exactly. there are people, you know, they there are people who can hear hear the um, sonar in a department store. You know, the uh, that yes. especially over the over the jewelry department, um, or they can hear fluorescent lights and they can see flickering in the fluorescent lights that. It's there, it's present, but most of us don't don't notice it. Um, here's something. And what's oh, interesting is that if you take them, like my my one daughter, if we, you have a TV on in another room, it's excruciatingly painful for her, but she can listen to TV in that room. Um, and you know, we've brought her huh. to so many different ear doctors. There's nothing wrong with her structurally or her hearing tests, and you know, it's a sensory integration type of a problem. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Her sensitivity is 
is uh, outside the typical person's range. That's really exactly. interesting. Exactly. Uh, well, one one of my one of my writers, his name is Peter Sullivan. He's the father of some boys who had some neurological issues. And one day he he got interested in he was interested in um, electricity, and he unplugged all the wireless um, really? in his house. Yeah, you know, like the like the cell phone charger mm-hmm. and the the baby monitor and. Um, and a child came in. Maybe, maybe he, maybe it was a neighbor's story. But anyway, a, a child walked in and said, "Gee, grown-ups, what'd you do to this house? It feels so nice in here." And this is after the folks had gone around and unplugged right. everything. So, so there's, it's incredible we, how we just have no incredible. idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, if if you think about it, you know, I'm going to just go through a quick list here of um in the book you talk about a lot of aspects of life and the best part is that you have um um suggestions for ways of dealing with it from all of these incredible people that contributed to the book. And some of the other topics other than grooming, clothing and eating are um driving. Um, just going to school, you know, going to work, going to the mall can be torture, you know, for these kids. Yeah. Um, you know, socialization, just having a conversation with somebody. And, and most importantly, I think, is the relationships because it's misunderstood. Um, it can be, you know, difficult on families if they want to go on outings with other children that might not have this. And another thing I wanted to talk about um, is that its effect on sleep because sleep is so important. Um, I mean, it's just so important for our all overall uh, mental health. But um, let's talk a little bit about sleep. And then I'd like for you to just tell us what you got out of um, this book and these contributors because, you know, we can't really go into depth with this, but it is just so encouraging. Yeah, good. Um, all right, well, sleep, uh, uh, this is a, set, uh, a, a an activity of daily living where this, where where the senses can make a big difference and if if a person has not had sufficient movement during the day that can affect sleep uh if the person has had too much sensory input that can be very stressful and um i i suggest to uh parents that they uh keep their kids away from electronic monitors for several hours before bedtime because that all that digital stuff is jazzing up a sensitive brain and interrupting the sleep patterns. Um, and it can be what pers- a person has eaten during a day, during the day. So we, you need a sensory lifestyle. You need to be look looking at everything that comes in through your mouth, through your eyes, through your ears, through your skin, and monitor it and take notes and what's irritating, what's calming. Figure it out. There's something called. Um, well, a sensory lifestyle is is um, the idea of making your life the best for you, and it might not be the same for your twin brother, but uh, mm-hmm. you find mm-hmm. out what's the best for you, and that will help with sleep. Sheets. Um, one of my writers write is a sheet snob, and she has to have the very finest sheets. Don't laugh at it. Don't think, oh, she's a princess. Uh, right. Uh, understand. Cotton is more comfortable than um, polyester sheets, so let's indulge. Uh, and of course, when you um, when you're a teenager, your sleep patterns change too. Teenagers actually need more sleep than they're getting. Uh, right. That's important, and I I, I discuss that. Um, 
so I, uh, you know, every every chapter uh, does have some information for everybody who's interested in in it. It really does. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, what I got out of this book, uh, Marianne, um, um, I I was a preschool teacher. Uh, I'm no longer a preschool teacher. I need to correct that in in the biography. I uh, I haven't taught uh, for about 15 years. Um, but I was a preschool teacher for many years, and that's my expertise with the little ones. So we're researching this book, working with my 50-plus contributors, developing relationships with them has been fabulous for me. I've I've grown up. I've Absolutely. I've learned to look at the world through a 20-year-old's uh, eyes, not just a four-year-old's eyes. And I'm so encouraged, I'm so moved um, by this extrasensory grace that, that my writers have talked about. I have learned that there is a progression and everybody with SPD can go through this progression and make it. Um, maturation helps, of course. Being able to understand your own uh, symptoms and analyze them and make changes in your life that's very important being able to communicate about it and this is a big issue Marianne because so many with SPD don't know the words they don't know how to describe it they think they're the weird ones they're ashamed of their inability to tolerate the noise in in the basketball court Uh, they don't they think something's wrong with them but so the ability to understand themselves and then discuss it and share it, that's very important too. And then getting help because um, some some people can master their sensory challenges, but it's so such a relief. It's so blissful to find an occupational therapist who understands them, gives them the sensory integration experiences that will help them and... Uh, then they can become the heroes and heroines that uh, that so many of them are are becoming. It's that's possible for everybody. And you know, on that note, I'd like to read uh, my last choice. And there's many, many, many in the book, but my last um, choice to read to the listeners is by Debbie Feely, and it's called "The Message: I Did Not Measure Up." My handwriting and map coloring were illegible because of poor fine motor skills. My classmates with pretty hair and nice smooth skin knew how to color maps beautifully within the lines, and I wondered why I was not like them. Teacher after teacher commented how oddly I wrote. Even in college, the freshman English professor suggested I just pack up and go home. Poor gross motor skills hampered, hampering my move, moving like the other kids. I wondered how they knew what to do. Throughout my school years, the constant message from teachers was that I did not measure up. The school had tryouts for a new choir, and I was one of the two in my class not chosen. I had no idea why. My world made no sense. Other than a few notes on report cards about me crying at school, nobody ever recognized a problem. Quite the opposite. I remember a high school teacher who was delighted to provoke me, poking me with his pointer. I hated him calling attention to me. He said I had to get over being shy if I wanted to survive. I hated it, but I am grateful for it. In response, I went out and got involved in student leadership. So, you know, overcoming these challenges, and I think more importantly is is making sure you get the support and respect for your differences. 
um, when you're yeah. giving that yeah. to your, your, your teen or your child, um, you know, whether or not, um, you know, you're picking it up late. You know, the the thing that was crossing my mind is when you think of OT, you think of little kids on the swings and the trampolines. Um, how would OT look for, let's say, a teenager or a young adult? Oh, oh well, there might be, um, let's say the kid has balance issues. So um, he would be uh, uh, perhaps uh, lying and then sitting and then standing on a platform that's suspended from the ceiling. So it might be that this is a person whose feet never leave the ground, and he might uh, just need to get gentle um, encouragement to get that vestibular system to calm down. Um, It it could be uh, um, groping, Getting hands on theraputty, which is like silly putty, mm-hmm. but it's it's used in the in the clinic, or shaving cream, or um, hamburger meat, or you know, uh, gradually uh, becoming accustomed to getting your hands on messiness, which is messiness can be appalling to uh, people with tactile overresponsivity. So the therapist. Um, never forces the client to do something that is going to be, be totally loathsome, but works with the client uh, stretching the capabilities until the person is able to do things that he couldn't do before. Uh, Dan Travis is one of the writers who who talks about uh, being an adult uh, when mm-hmm. he was finally mm-hmm. diagnosed, and um, he hated any dental hygiene. He couldn't go to the dentist. He couldn't even brush his teeth. And he writes about that. He now, because of working with a therapist who might not have been working in his mouth, she might have been working on his hands and his feet and his knees, I don't know. Um, But the tactile system is all over our bodies. So the therapist uh, gradually got Dan to be more comfortable with um, tactile sensations, and gradually he's improved his dental hygiene. Um, So it's all connected, all connected. It really is. You know, I'd like to just read, um, you have many praises for the book, but I'd like to read one because I think it sums it up beautifully, and it's by Jane M. Healy. And it says, this book is warm and wise. This book will bring both hope and practical help to parents who wonder why their kid doesn't fit in. And it's uh-huh. it's, it's so true. Um, I want to thank you for writing this book because you are going to help a lot of people. And oh, really? I really want to thank you for um, for coming back on. I appreciate it. Always, anytime. Okay. Well, um we get the book, The Out-of-Sync Child Grows Up, and Carol also speaks. And, um, you know, Carol, can you tell people where they can find your schedule and um, oh, if you sure. have a website? I do. It's outofsyncchild.com. And um, uh, also try carolstockkranowitz.com. Uh, that's uh, my, my full name, Um I'm actually in the process of updating my website. So I think today it's out of com, and it'll probably, uh, probably people will get to it that way for a while until the change is made. Um, and I have my, um, I have my schedule there, which I keep up to date. Uh, Marianne, tomorrow I'm, go- I'm going to um, Arlington, Texas. I'm going to be the keynote speaker for the Texas Focus Conference, which oh, nice. is for, yeah, for visually impaired people and uh so my angle 
uh, uh, when I speak on Friday is going to be on the visual aspects of sensory processing disorder. Not that I'm an optometrist or an expert myself, but I hope to uh, share what I know about how everything is integrated and, and interrelated and um, our senses really uh, rule us and we might as well get familiar with them so we can help them work more smoothly. Absolutely. Well, uh, the next time you're in the New York area, I'm definitely going to be coming to see you, maybe take you to lunch because uh, I'm just so impressed with everything you're doing. Oh, that would be a great pleasure. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Carol. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marianne. As I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here with us on The Coffee Clatch. We have some incredible um, shows coming up for you, especially on um, Dr. Richard Selznick's um, School Struggles. He'll be talking to a lot of experts on raising teens and dyslexia and all types of different things. I also have Dr. Robert Melillo coming on, and he's going to be talking about his new book. And um, I hope you'll join us. For everything The Coffee Clatch, go to www. CoffeeClatch.com. This episode is brought to you by Squag.com. As parents of kids with neurodevelopmental and mental health conditions, we know our kids really, really well. But sometimes there's so much going on that indications of their growth or change can be so small and nuanced that we might miss them in a verbal exchange with our kids. So we created Squag.com as a social and creative experience for kids, but also as an opportunity for parents to see what their kids think and feel about stuff, what they're drawn to, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, and to be able to use it to capture a visual Um, picture and use it as a starting point to nurture kids as they develop and grow. So please visit us at squag.com to learn more.